Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to uh, the second hour of Amplify with Matthew Hill. Associate Professor of uh, Philosophy has written a book and is uh, also an ordained elder in the Free Methodist Church. He's written a book uh, entitled Embracing Evolution, How Understanding Science Can Strengthen Your Life. Um, what, does, what, to do, what do superheroes have to do with this? <laughs> <laughs> well, in the book I use an uh, analogy with superheroes that, you know, it, it seems like in our culture, and certainly when I look at my kids, they're kind of obsessed with this, like, you know, these idea of superheroes and mutant powers and all that kind of stuff. Um, well, we as humans are actually mutants. I mean, that's what actually all organic life in the world is, uh, is a mutant. Uh, so it, it, it's a mutation from one generation to another. And mutation just simply means change, right? So it's why your, um, your, your siblings might come from the same biological parents, but you look different than, from each other. You act differently. You do all sorts of things different, both, um, uh, both genetically and um, personality-wise and all that kind of stuff. And that's because uh, we are mutations uh, from each other. And that's what actually the, the, the beauty of sexual reproduction, it, it actually gives us these kind of mutations. It, it kind of mixes the genes together. So we're not some sort of like monolithic crop or something that, that gets a, um, uh, a bug or a virus that gets it and kills the whole, you know, acres of crops that year. Um, but it, uh, it does, um, it, it, the, the, the sexual reproduction gives us a mutation that it actually ends up being greater for the species. One of the biggest mutations that we have um, as humans is our, is our brain. It gives us um, collective learning. It has enabled us to uh, store memories of how to do things that we can then transmit to the next generation. It gives us um, stories and narratives by which we live by. And frankly, I think it is um, one of the tools that God uses to connect with us in a different way than the rest of creation. Uh, we, we can reason about God. We can um, use our brains to imagine about God. We can tell stories that describe God, and we can tell truthful stories that um, articulate concepts of, of, of God's character that in both, you know, from you know, both a, uh, an apophatic and a cataphatic way, we can kind of understand these things. So it's it, I think um, these mutations actually have made us a superhero in a way that generations ago, um, you know, tens of thousands of years ago, if, if humans could look into the future and see us today, they would think that we were in so many ways otherworldly with superpowers on some level. And, and those concepts that we have with, the, with our brain development and the way that we can kind of um, uh, uh, have uh, recollection as, as a community and as a group, can actually be unbelievably beneficial for us uh, spiritually and for our um, um, for our development. Most of us probably were mentored by somebody in the faith who taught us the ways of Christianity, not just about Christianity that we could have learned from a book, which is a kind of collective learning, right. but actually showed us how to be a Christian. Um, and in your tradition, Father, the the Roman Catholic Church has, and same with the Eastern Orthodox Church, has a great history of 
um, of, of saints that uh, kind of uh, show us the way to live and how to live in various situations. There have been pandemics before, and we can look at the saints and how they have interacted with such pandemics in history. There's been mass violence and injustices and all sorts of stuff that we can look to see how these saints have kind of um, anchored themselves in, uh, in Scripture and in church tradition and using their reason and experience to kind of articulate those, those phenomena. And so I think it's, it's, it's wonderfully connective between both what we know scientifically and what we kind of experience spiritually. You wrote in your book, even before this pandemic, that uh, we're in a kind of biological arms race with viruses and bacteria trying to survive and in so doing, they can kill us. Written over yeah. a year ago. So, um, yeah. And, and there's a sweet spot with those kind of uh, things, too. I mean, this is where evolution gets it. So, like, uh, I think the coronavirus is a great example, Father. If, you, if, you, if the coronavirus was more deadly, like Ebola or something, then uh, it probably wouldn't spread so, so widely because it would kill people too fast before it, um, uh, it can transmit to other people. If it was too weak, it wouldn't be a big deal. It would be like a common cold. So it hits a kind of evolutionary sweet spot of diseases that is, has a long incubation period and um, uh, a high trans, transmission period, uh, rate and is uh, just enough deadly that it's, it's, it's very problematic for humankind right now. So I, I think that's a really good example of um, the way things evolve, and they evolve quite quickly. It doesn't take too many generations for you to look a whole lot different than your great-grandparents did. Right. In fact, what happens every time we take an antibiotic? Sure. Yeah, it, it certainly strengthens. It kills a lot of uh, bacteria, but it strengthens some other ones because they become resistant. So, yeah, for sure. And um, it, it's within that context that you speak about uh, your love for Jesus that we haven't talked about yet this evening. You write in the book, the, um, I grew up in the church and had various moments that were sacramental and important to my faith, like baptism, communion, inviting Christ to lead my life. But when exactly did I become a Christian? Others have a powerful conversion story illustrated by radical changes in behavior. Not me. For the most part, I grew up loving Jesus, and I still do today. At some point, I must have made my faith my own, not living off my parents' faith, but I truly don't know when that was. I just know that while I probably didn't have any real relationship with Jesus when I was a baby, I very much love Jesus now, and that love is personal. So we don't understand everything, do we? No, and I think that's a great point. I think that, that just because we have a relationship with God doesn't mean that, poof, automatically we're going to understand all things. And in fact, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, sure about other people's experiences, but I know my own experience. I feel like the more I've learned, the more I, the words I don't know come out of my mouth. Um, and, and you know, I, I don't think that that has to be the case, that we have to, you know, every young person has to go and gather their testimony with hard living and doing all sorts of crazy things. I mean, I, I want the testimony for my kids to be, um, you know, that they have always grown up loving God and they never knew when a, a time when they didn't. But they can, don't have to always stay at a third grade level of loving God. They can stay at an adult level. You know, they can, can they go from milk to meat in a way. Um, and, it, you know, in that way, I, I feel like, uh, you know, there's, 
there's almost a responsibility that I think we have as Christians to to both develop and at the same time keep that sense of wonder with saying, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how it all works out. I'm not sure some of these uh, the answers to this. How, why is there a creation story in Genesis 1 that articulates six days of creation? And then a couple paragraphs later in Genesis 2, there's a different creation story that says that it was created in one day. I mean, we have to kind of use our reasoning to understand that scripture, but we also at the end of the day have to say we're not sure how God created, we just know that he did. And that's what the Bible is clearly trying to to, to talk about. And of course, I knew that we weren't going to cover everything from the wonderful things in this book. Uh, but uh, you you write about how humans are almost outside of evolution, that science and faith can be in a cohesive system without having to be in conflict. And and you talk about dealing with uh, young creationists and ultra Darwinists today. Uh, and, and you speak about how difficult it is to teach a person what they think they already know. And uh, that we are often content siding with a perspective that makes us most comfortable. And then you get into Hegel uh, and his synthesis, the original concept of synthesis, his approach to faith and science, that every Christian is grounded in some kind of tradition, despite our technology, not to recognize that, that we're doing that at times. And now we've, we reach then part three, which I wanted to get to a little earlier, but you write about seeking truth. We must remember that what science, what true science, we must remember what true science and faith have in common, especially when they are unadulterated and without hidden agendas or power plays, is the desire to seek truth. Though both come to truth, some alike, some different, often by way of unique methods, they are both ultimately concerned with leading us toward the truest understanding we might have of our world and reality. But in the age of scientism and technology, we have to be careful with our relationship to science. Tell us then um, a little bit uh, about um, how can ancestry affect our lives? Today, a lot of people are looking to their ancestry. How can that affect our lives? Yeah, it's a good question, Father. I, I mean, we... We look towards the the, the ancestry of, of where we've come from, and I think we have some decisions to make. We're not going to be able to change the the DNA that has been handed down to us by natural selection. We're, we're, we're just not going to be able to change that. We're going to have certain urges. We're going to have certain uh, propensities. We're, we're going to have certain desires. So but what we can change, and the Catholic tradition has a, has a great tradition with this, um, relying heavily on St. Aquinas and, and Aristotle, that we can change the habits by which we live our lives, which ultimately then changes the way and the orientation by which we view our lives. So what I mean is um, habits, uh, habits have, to have, have to be purposeful. So uh, if I, I say to, 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 to students sometimes when they talk about Aristotelian virtues, if you want to be a generous person, the only way to do that is to start being generous. And then at some point you will be a generous person. So you just start acting generously and at some point you become a generous person. So if I want to, you know, try to avoid, you know, uh, lust and um, gluttony and sloth and all sorts of um, kind of behavior that, that leads me away from Christ, then what I need 
just start doing it. Even if I don't like it, start doing the good, the good work and the good things like being patient, being kind, being long suffering, being generous, being courageous, doing those things, even when I don't feel like it or like it. And eventually it becomes habit forming and you just have, it's a no brainer. You, you are a patient person. You are a kind person. Mm. And, and I think the way that we do that is, is through accountability and close and real relationships with other Christians. You know, we, we need to be associated and close enough with that kind of collective learning that we get from evolution that, that makes us really unique among the animals as humans. Um, we need to use that to our advantage to say, you know, hey, keep me on track and, and, and be honest with me and tell me where I need to be a better person and what I need to do. So, you know, you know we have friends of ours. Um, he's in Idaho right now, but he... You know, he's he's a guy who's who's constantly asking us to to keep him, you know, on track, and we respect him for that. And he, you know, uh, go backslides sometimes and goes forward in other times. But it's it's inspiring to see the way that, despite all the many 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 obstacles in his life, he just keeps moving forward uh, with community. It's it's wonderful to see. Um, so much to say. I don't always know where to go. You talked a little bit. Um earlier about the brain. I've been fascinated. I had a couple guests on over the last few years talking about uh, the brain, how much more we're beginning to understand about it. And you write that understanding that can give us a window into our drives and behaviors, that parts are very old and relative or relatively new, and they negotiate with one another, that the frontal lobe is the youngest part of the brain. It helps to determine good or bad judgments. We win or lose behavioral battles every day, but uh, humans seem to have become very satisfied. And you just can't you don't you can't emphasize enough in the book that knowledge can be a powerful tool to shape our moral behavior. That behavioral traits can be nurtured. And then this one sentence that I've really highlighted: you write Christians were in a are in a perfect position to positively nurture what the process of evolution has given us through the ages. Amplify on that a little bit. Sure, sure. So he, um, evolution doesn't, you're right, I I, I oftentimes focus too much on the bad stuff that evolution has given us, but it has given us some great traits too. One of the reasons why we can build skyscrapers and go to the moon and and um, uh, hike, uh, you know, Lewis and Clark uh, Trail, and do do all sorts of crazy things as humans, is because we um, we have we have a cooperative spirit among us. So, like uh, one of the, the the traits that has been selected by evolution is that we um, are 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 willing to work with each other to to be altruistic and and compassionate and reciprocal, and that is unbelievably good and unbelievably Christian. And in fact. The more uh, science dives into evolutionary biology, the more it shows how necessary that cooperative behavior is, which is something that Christians have been saying all along. No, we, we, can, we can be cooperative. We can nurture this altruism, and we can be a better kind of human. Um, so in, in a very, I think, beautiful way, you see science um, and religion kind of coming together more and more, I think, uh, in, the, in the 21st century. Now, altruism is a huge piece uh, to that to that puzzle, I think. Um, for I mean, this is very recent too. It's in the 70s. They thought that nobody could figure out why humans would be self-sacrificial to each other, 
And then um, as more and more studies come, and actually one of the, the most recent groundbreaking studies happened in 2010, only 10 years ago, kind of showing how cooperative behavior is an evolutionary biological trait and something then I think we as Christians can come along and say, and that is something that we could absolutely can nurture and that has been part of our faith for the last several thousand years. And one of, one of the things things that we be, we're beginning to discover um, that humans are not entirely entirely selfish, and, the, and you you believe that's been proven. We're not entirely selfish, and that it's not a matter of survival of the fittest, and that humankind right. has great capacity for goodness. And, and then you write. There's a couple of quotes about the church here. One you write is, for the sake of the church, it is imperative that we move from the dualist thinking that has crept into the church over the generations. We are a whole, W-H-O-L-E, we are whole people, physical, mental, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual beings. We are not merely a product of our experiences in mental states, nor are we simply a spirit stuck in a body. Any notion to the contrary is a reductionism that not only goes directly against Christian tradition and scripture, but also our reason and our experience of how life operates. Yeah, you know, like we, there is this, I I think it's frustrating sometimes because there's a sense within um, like a Sunday school mentality of faith that there's our spiritual side and then there's our physical side, and we kind of separate those two things. But boy, I mean, try to, try, to, try to pray for a half an hour or an hour after you had no sleep the night before because you were up with an emergency or a screaming, crying baby or something. I mean, you can't do it. Or try to, um, you know, what, one of the reasons why in, in our traditions we, we fast is, is because it reminds us of our weakness and it reminds us that we need more and we need something. There is a, and, and again, and not to kind of be a, a broken record, but the, both the Roman Catholic tradition and the Eastern Orthodox tradition, I think, has always recognized this, and it's something the Protestants, unfortunately, I think we threw away a bit when during the Reformation, but the, the, the physical and the spiritual are so interconnected, and we actually need these disciplines in order to remind us of the interconnectedness. And in the Protestant faith, we oftentimes throw away the physical, and we, like, put the spiritual let me let me let me break in let me break in because we have to take this break hold your thought for when we come right back sure thing welcome back to uh the final segment of amplify just about uh 20 minutes a little less than that with uh matthew hill he's written a book titled embracing evolution we're going to try to wind up and wrap up our uh, program, uh, what we've been talking about. But first of all, um, Matthew, I broke in 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 one of your thoughts you uh, wanted to complete. Uh, sure. We, we, were ta- what were we, we were talking again about... Protest- um, yeah, I- about how Protestants and Catholics are different and uh, Orthodox. And uh, you just want to move on? Oh yeah, well, well, that uh, Catholic and Orthodox tradition has this great, um, uh, I think, kind of uh, um, set of remembrances that we we have through the disciplines, where you can remind yourself of that interconnected nature between your body and your soul. 
and that it's one kind of thing. And, and that honestly, I think can be a great encouragement to, to the faithful. Um, you know, it's kind of like this, this, uh, uh, I once was out in Idaho and I, I saw this horse that it wasn't a horse. It was actually a, a mule, this cross between a horse and a, and a donkey. The other horses hated it. Um, but it was, this delightful animal that just knew who it was. I think that we, when we know who we are between, um, you know, both our physical bodies and our, our spiritual um, uh, souls, then we can kind of actually have a delight in this kind of, uh, I think, weird existence that we have here, this cross between Mm. the physical and the spiritual. And maybe that's why you indicate that we're conflicted people and uh, that the relationship between morality and holiness Um, can seem blurry. And you write, our behavior, whether sinful or holy, is in many ways influenced by biological urgings. But humans are uniquely positioned to be able to encourage positive behavior. Sin, then, is not inevitable. Of course, we have debauched urges and behavior that stem from our biology. We need only to look at violence, torture, and manipulation, to name a few. But we also have positive and pro-social traits that are rooted in our biology. Just look at the way your face lights up when you see a puppy or how you're overtaken by compassion when a loved one or even a stranger is hurt in front of you. We are a conflicted people who navigate the full spectrum of selfless and selfish desires and behaviors, and you indicate that our Christian experience is like a childhood trust. Explain that a little bit. Yeah, that we are this weird mix of um, of both passions and uh, pitfalls, you might say, um, where um, any one of those things, if, if given attention to, could essentially take over our lives. Um, and so one of the things that we need to do, we have this kind of childlike wondering about all these things that we experience every day just feels so new to us. I mean, even though sometimes life is um, mundane and life can seem kind of, um, you know, uh, just the same sometimes in routine, we actually have this, this amazing ability to see the newness in life with this childlike wonder. And I think if very strongly, if we can surround ourselves with people that um, certainly the Christian faith is full of people that are willing and, and able to do this, that can encourage those positive um, traits like altruism, like kindness that are kind of given to us from evolution, that, um, that they can actually are, are almost a reflection of uh, the qualities that we see in, in, in God himself, that I think that those people in, those, in the church can actually move us in that direction, that we can have those um, kind of be the, the driving factors in our, our behavior rather than the, the negative aspects of theology or of evolution. But that only comes, I really believe that it only comes with um, a, a cohort of, of close people that are uh, looking in the same direction together, encouraging each other to, to, to use those evolutionary traits for uh, move, movement towards holiness. I would think that's your family. It's different ages, the very young and some older, but um, the one story I can think about right now, I was I was going to say, we I have all these stories in my mind. And one, I remember your son had to have a tooth because he had too many teeth in his, in his mouth, and one had to come out. And he had this idea that eventually they were going to take all his teeth out. 
And he was really troubled by that. And it it took a while for him to come forward because he trusted in you. (laughs) Yeah. And and that trust, I remember that day when when he, he, you know, we were telling him he was going to have to get a tooth pulled and this and that. And he was so scared. And he was probably, you know, I don't know, seven at the time or something. And um, at the end of the day, he said, I'll do it, Dad. But what am I going to chew with if I don't have any teeth? And I'm like, oh, buddy, we're not going to, they're not going to pull all your teeth, buddy. But that childlike, look, I, I know that you love me and I'll do it because I, I know that you love me. was just a beautiful moment for me to, 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 to think about the ways in my life that like, boy, how could I emulate that more? How could I be more childlike in, in looking at only the goodness? And, and boy, it's so scary for me as a father because I, I feel like my kids kind of mimic and parrot all the things that I do. And, um, and I hope that I, and I reflect goodness so that they parrot and mimic those good things. But it, it, it just is a reminder that, like, boy, that, you know, how can we just look towards God and the goodness and the goodness and the virtues that we see in other people? Frankly, Father, when I called you the other day, um, for some reason it went quick to your voicemail. And I was struck by your message said, you know, leave a message um, uh, and have a gentle and joyful day. And I thought, oh, well, that, that's a great way of understanding life and Christianity, that the gentleness of God should come through. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully we can reflect uh, some of those, those things uh, when we see that and parrot those, those good things from people that we look up to and, 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 and trans transfer that to the next uh, group of Christians, the next generation. Yeah, the struggle is we are conflicted, and there's so many things happening, and yet uh, you ha- you're you surrounded by these these wonderful children, these beautiful children, and a wife, because you've told stories about her birth, too, uh, about your wife who gives birth to a child who gives birth who gives birth, you know, and just this whole process. But you write about humans why are we humans amazing? How are we amazing? Oh, we're just amazing on so many facts. I mean, there's so many reasons. I mean, first of all, I think that we're given the Imago Dei from, from God. The image of God is, is with uh, and us as humans, and that makes us incredibly special. I think another way that it makes us special is, you know, the Incarnation is just so magnificent for Christianity. I mean, God Almighty coming down to be a human uh, person and to be an organic life and to be material and to redeem it and to, uh, to understand what it's like. But God just doesn't, he doesn't come down and uh, be in, he doesn't come down as like a, a donkey or a mule or something like that. He comes down as a person. He comes down as a human being. And so that makes us human special. Um, he chooses, um, you know, uh, humankind to, that's how he becomes incarnate through. And so, Somehow we are unique and special, but with that carries a great sense of responsibility, I believe. You know, we are responsible to not betray that trust and, and that kind of uh, grace that, that God's been given us. So I think that there is a, a kind of justice and responsibility that, that comes from that um, image of God that makes us special. And we do it in all sorts of extraordinary ways, like we live on the moon. We've lived on the moon. We live in Antarctica. We, we're living in, in space right now with the International Space Station. We do all sorts that we live in Shelby, Michigan, you know, all sorts of places um, that are different from each other. And, uh, you know, I, I just look at um, the, the kind of variety that we have in, in humankind and, and appreciate God all the much more for, for wanting to be part of this kind of life through the person of Jesus Christ. It's, it's pretty remarkable.
and we look at the uh, what the medical staff, nurses and doctors are doing with this whole coronavirus. Um, my sister was telling me that someone did a study, showed how they had worked so many hours, showed what they look like when they start and what they look like when when they were finished, tired, faces drawn, and you know, just giving themselves completely uh, to another person. Um, how can we nurture natural vices that we have? Yeah, I think we nurture the natural virtues by by getting the by uh, by by honestly just by recognizing what they are, and and almost you know re- remembering that like that, that kindness and altruism is put in us you know through evolution through Imago Dei how whatever perspective we want to have, and then we purposefully do those ha- those virtues until they become habit forming. You know, any new habit that we have, I mean, think about what we can learn as humans. We learn how to walk. We learn how to talk. We learn different dialects. Um, we learn um, what, what to, how to eat food, how not to eat food, and we learn all sorts of things. We can learn habits, the marshmallow test, delayed gratification, all that kind of stuff that we, we've already kind of discussed. We can learn how to incorporate these positive attributes, but it does take effort. I don't think that we can learn and incorporate those um, uh, positive attributes that lead towards a, a kind of holiness without purposeful activity. Um, and in, in that way, you know, I, I know that the times when I um, let the vices take over instead of the virtues are the times in life when I, it's not that I'm the most careless, it's the times in life when I'm the most lazy about my spiritual well-being. And why is it that old habits die hard? Oh, because habits are just they. So when when we develop a habit, we actually rewire the the um, the neural pathways in our brain. With the paths, it, it, think of paths like um, like water on a water slide. If there's um, if it splits in two, it's going to go to the path of least resistance. Or think of it in a, a water hitting a roof, to a gutter, to a uh, a drain system. It's going to go the path of least resistance, and that's kind of how our brain works with neural pathways. The more we establish neural pathways through habit forming, and that could be regularly being generous, regularly being gentle, regularly being kind, <clears throat> saying kind words. Um, the more we establish those neural pathways, the actually the easier it is, ironically, to do them later, and they become habit forming. So once the same is true with the opposite, with vices. The more we establish destructive uh, neural pathways, the more difficult it is to even recognize that destruction. And that's, uh, and, and let alone change that habit form, forming behavior. And that's why we need a community of believers around us to kind of help us through that. Yeah, how important that is, right, that, that community of believers. Um, mm-hmm. So a, as we begin to close now, um, probably reviewing in just a little bit, how does belief in evolution uh, deepen or change the way we see our relationship to God or God's relationship to creation? I think, it, for me at least, it, it shows the beauty and majesty of, of, and the variety of, of, of God, of how God Almighty doesn't just create this robot that is, um, or this painting that is static and doesn't move or do anything. He creates something that keeps on creating, which is such both a unbelievable expression of 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 goodness and and a delight in a kind of artistry of creation but also a kind of 
trust and a kind of freedom that he he gives to creation to say like you're not on your own i'm with you i mean clearly the incarnation supports that you're not on your own i'm with you via the holy spirit and uh and i want to see how you create what how do you want to shape the lives of those around you and how can you do that for my glory i think that's what god is saying so i think that the i think evolution for me at least has opened up the beauty and creativity of god in a way like it's opened up that perspective in a way for me that i never would have been able to see otherwise without embracing evolution and what virtues do you believe we need to develop a, a healthy christian community i well i think one of the first thing is i mean i do think uh kindness gentleness generosity i think those are are unbelievably important i think a, a, a willingness to try to understand before we're understood. I mean, all of these things I'm certainly trying to work on, but I'm, I'm a long way off from where I, I need to be. Um, another thing that, you know, are, is, is, I think, front and center right now is a, is a, a heavy sense of justice. Um, that's a, a great uh, virtue to try to, um, to incorporate along with the virtue of, of courage. And, you know, I mean, you don't see that more than when you see um, priests and pastors holding hands, um, you know, fighting for justice, uh, you know, right now. So it's, 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 I think that there are an endless list of virtues that we can have, but, but also virtues that we can tap into once we know kind of where we come from a little bit more biologically. And God, of course, is calling each and every one of us, uh, mutant that we are, uh, to come to believe that we have been given incredible powers Faith, hope, and love are, are among those virtues, uh, and the more we understand them, uh, the stronger we will become, and the, the more we'll understand not only about ourselves, but the more we'll be able to understand about God. And in the book, you talk about uh, Jesus' death and resurrection, that there's so much to learn from the resurrection uh, and how we can be lifted up also by God. And that process begins uh, here in any victory we have over uh, sinfulness, uh, and we can be recreated and be renewed in so many ways. Our guest this evening has been Matthew Hill. We've been talking about his book, Embracing Evolution, How Understanding Science Can Strengthen Your Life. Um, thank you very much for spending this time with us this evening. You're a great guest uh, and uh uh, thank your children. Uh, uh, there's so much that they've taught me in their own way. The lessons you've learned from them, I've learned from them through you. Uh, so even though we didn't tell all the, all of those stories, the stories are certainly beautiful and also the same to your wife. Blessings upon all, each and every one of you. Thank you so much, Father. I really appreciate the time. All right. Good night. Good night. Um, so we've come to the end of the program. There was, there was, there was, there's so much more that uh, we could have said about the relationship between uh, science and faith, and and I hope that uh, we will be able to do more of that uh, in the future. Just one of the topics, and I and I love the concept of the brain also. But let me read um, uh, again a final quote that I like to read from um, the guests that I've had in the evening, and I pick out some as I go along and then see which ones I want to use at the end of the program. Um, And again, this is writing from the book Embracing Evolution. Our actions are 
not just the spiritual struggles of a spiritual being trapped in a fleshly body. Instead, both our sins and our holy actions should be seen in the light of the whole person, a non-reductive person who is a complex agent with a physical, emotional, spiritual, intellectual, and mental side to them. Finding common ground between our contemporary understanding of evolutionary science and both historical and contemporary Christian theology allows us to fully embrace the unity of the whole person instead of the unhealthy dualism that grow out of veiled platonic thought. In a very real sense, unifying, unifying science and Christian theology helps us to focus on the important physical reality of the Christian faith, the incarnation that he was just talking about at the end of the program, the virgin birth, the physical resurrection of Jesus, and the physical resurrection of humankind that I tried to relate to a little bit. He continues, by drawing attention to these important physical doctrines, we rightly call to mind the physical reality of Christian living. And then he, he writes just a, a little bit later after that. Talk, he's been talking in this, at this point about the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives and whole, how God guides us uh, through his Spirit. He writes, through a combination of human choice and the grace of God, humans possess the ability to continually overcome their genes and live holy lives. Such grace is much the same as what theologians call common grace, as it works alongside the theological concepts of original sin, justifying, and regenerative grace. It also aids the believer during and after the free conversion and works alongside sanctifying grace as they move toward, a, toward living a holy life. You and I, we have the ability to live a holy life and to draw ever closer to God. We are mutants. We are superheroes. God has created each of us in a unique way to create miracles in life. Don't forget then how precious life is and how powerful love is. Tell someone now that you love him or her. Pray for peace as if it depended on you alone. And come back next Sunday and amplify with us.